Why? <clears throat> I don't know why we just did that. Um, so uh, Pluto and Goofy, both dogs in Disney animation, one of them gets to wear pants and act like a person and walk around. The other one has to act like a pet. Why? Right? Why is that? Why is the alphabet in the order that it's in? Is it, is it really just because of the song? Like, is that the only re Why is it so cold in space if the sun is so hot? Right? <laughs> you think about this? Why is cereal not considered a soup? Like, I, that's the... This is my life now with a three-year-old. These are the questions that plague my life, <laughs> make me question everything I've ever thought I was intelligent about. You know, why, Daddy? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Cereal is soup now in your mind. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. So you're welcome. But why Lent, right? Why Lent? That's the question. And, and you know, you'd say, why? It's not in the Bible. And, and you're right. Lent is not in the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible about Lent specifically. It's a tradition, uh, but to be fair, there are a lot of traditions that we do that are not in the Bible. For example, right here, what we're doing. This is a tradition to gather on Sunday mornings. Nothing magical about Sunday mornings. Uh, <laughs> nothing, I mean, we have a piece of furniture in the, in the room here. It's a cross. There's nothing that commanding us to have a cross in our churches or commanding us to gather on Sunday mornings exclusively or whatever. Uh, there's, there's a traditions. And, but I guarantee you, though, I mean, if, if I just said, hey, listen, this year we're going to take Easter Sunday off and you know what? What we're going to do is I'm just going to text you whenever we're going to get together. And it might be a Sunday. It might be a Tuesday. It could be whatever day. You'd probably say, I don't know if this is a biblical church, right? Because it's that ingrained in us is that these traditions are important. And, and Lent is a tradition. It's a good one, but it's a tradition. It's not necessarily commanded in the Bible. And here's what it is in the Bible. Ready? These two things. Uh, fasting is in the Bible. And the passage of Scripture that Lent surrounds and orbits is in the Bible. That passage of Scripture is in the Bible. It starts in Matthew. It starts in chapter 4. But it's essentially the portion of Jesus' ministry where he's fasting for 40 days in the desert. And he's doing this kind of cosmic battle with Satan. Satan's tempting him. And he's resisting that temptation. And he's doing this for 40 days. That's the passage of Scripture that is in the Bible that Lent kind of is, is inspired by. So uh, for anything else, just consider these next few weeks here as we go through this series on Lent. Consider it kind of a deep dive, like a really deep dive Bible study on what we can learn and see from Jesus's ministry, from his experience in this portion of Scripture. So consider it, consider it that. And the first thing we'll talk about is fasting, because that's the one that bubbles up to the surface. That's the one that we see right away when Jesus is in these 40 days. And it's the one that's most often aff affiliated or associated with uh, this, this tradition of Lent. So what is fasting? Fasting uh, is voluntarily giving up something good to focus on something better. And it doesn't even have to be God. I mean, when I was in college, I probably should have fasted from having a ton of fun right before the exams, okay? <laughs> probably should have done that. You can fast from anything for something else, to prioritize something else. In the Bible, you fast to prioritize God in your life. Um, and the thing that's true about fasting is that it is in the Bible. And uh, there's two things. One of them is that Jesus modeled it. He actually did it, along with a bunch of other early church leaders and people who were involved in the first, the genesis of the New Testament church. The other thing that's in the Bible is Jesus taught on it. But if you ask the question, why fasting? Like, why fast? If you ask that question, the answer to that can't be, well, because it's commanded. 
Because, I mean, technically, Jesus never actually commands fasting. He doesn't actually say you have to do this. There's no commandments in the New Testament for the Christian to round, around fasting. But Jesus did it, and he taught on it. So let's at least start there. And where was his teaching on fasting? It was in Matthew chapter 6. That's where I'm going to hang out for a while if you want to join us. Matthew chapter 6. And I'll start right here. It says Matthew chapter 6, verse 16. When you fast. So here's the thing. Again, technically, Jesus doesn't say you have to fast. I command you to fast. He just says when you do it. So it's safe to assume that Jesus kind of assumed you would be doing this. So let me put it to you this way. If you were personally meeting with Jesus for coffee at your favorite coffee shop and you're sitting there and you say, hey, Jesus, tell me, you know, what are the things I should do to prioritize God in my life? Like what are, what are some things that from the Bible you think I should prioritize and do? And he starts teaching, right? He starts talking to you about things you should do in your life as a as a a godly person. And he gets this phrase, he says, and when you fast, and you cut him off, wait, 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 Jesus, no, no. I don't fast. Because technically, you've never commanded it. So I don't do it. So skip that one, go on to the next teaching. What else you got for me? You know, I mean, I guess you could do that. Because yes, technically, he didn't command it. But if I were you, <laughs> here's what I would do. When Jesus says, when you fast, you just get out your pen. Okay, I'm ready. Let's go. Let's do this thing and start taking notes. Because that's what I would do. If Jesus is saying we should do it, we should talk, we should at least teach, teach us on it. He didn't say explicitly you have to do it. He kind of assumes we'd be doing it. I'm going to do it. So here's what he says about it. This is Matthew chapter 16, or sorry, chapter 6, verse 16. Here it is. When you fast, do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face so that, you will not, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So that's the teaching that Jesus has for us on fasting. Interesting. He doesn't talk about like how long you should fast ever in there. He doesn't say these, that you should do it this long, this many days. He didn't talk about what you should give up. You know, he didn't talk about like what kind of food you should give up or what kind of activities you should give up. He didn't, doesn't do that, doesn't cover any of that stuff. The only thing he talks about is why you should fast. That's it. That's really all he talks about is the why. And so what's the why? The reward. Isn't that interesting? It's like God is so concerned about you getting something out of giving something up. He says, hey, hey, you're going to fast? Let me tell you, there's a reward and here's how, here, let me tell you how you get the reward. It's interesting how God is concerned about us getting something out of giving something up. And, and to be honest with you, this is kind of like true of all of God's commands, if we're honest. Here's, here's how often people think of God's commands, all right? This is how you think of it. It's like, it's like a couple, married couple that has no kids, but uh, they go out and they buy a bunch of toys and they sit around and they say, what are we going to do with all these toys? I got it. We'll have, some, we'll have some kids to play with the toys. Let's have kids play with the toys. You'd be like, that's the weirdest thing ever. The toys are for the kids, not the kids for the toys. And yet we do this with God all the time. It's like the Trinity got together, like Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, millennia before we create anything, going, boy, look at all these great commands. Look at all these great commandments that we got. What are we going to do with all these great commandments? I got it. We'll invent some humans to obey the commandments. Wouldn't that be fun? Wouldn't that be awesome? No, that's ridiculous. The commandments are for you. Do you have to obey them? No, but they're going to be good for you. They help you. Is it the easiest life ever? No, probably not. The best things in life are hard, 
but it's good. It's good for you. You should obey as many as you can. David talks about this. These are his delight. David, the psalmist says, these are my delight, my food. I love your commandments. That's, that's the reality about commandments. It's a gift for you. Fasting, same thing. You should do it. Do I have to do it? What? Do you have to, do you have to enjoy life the way that God made it? No, you don't. But here's how you do it. So fasting, gift, reward. It seems to be that there's two though. There's the reward of like people's affirmation, right? And he talks about how you get people's affirmation and the reward. You kind of go out of your way, right? To, to make it look like you're fasting so people think you're holier and stuff. Or you go out of your way to hide it. So it's not about how you do it. It's not about getting caught. Obviously Jesus got caught, right? We know he fasted. So somebody let the cat out of the bag there. Jesus loses reward. No, it's not about that. The subject is the faster and what they're doing, the, per, the faster, the person who's fasting and they're, what they're trying to do, their motives, right? And what's interesting is it say, he says, go out of your way. Go out of your way to hide the good. And that phrase appears all over this whole sermon. You know, when you're going to do something good, go out of your way to hide it. When you're going to pray, go out of your way to kind of do it secretly before the Lord, not so much publicly and make people think you're super good at praying. He just talks about doing all the good stuff. When you give, when you tithe, do it in a way that's secret so that, so that it's just, it's, your reward is just God. And, and what's interesting is we go out of our way to hide the bad stuff. I mean, you know that? I mean, that's, this is the complete opposite. I mean, right? When you do something bad, you're like, oh, I got to delete the search engine history on my phone or whatever. I got to delete this, you know, the images I looked at on my computer. You know, you go out of your way to hide it. You hide the bottles, you know, you're coming home from the party and you're like, mom and dad are going to be there. I got I to put some gum in my mouth and chew some gum for a while, right? We go out of our way to hide the bad. And what the Bible is saying, what Jesus is saying is, hey, go out of your way, hide the good. Like do the, do the good stuff in secret, you know, I just believe this. I don't, it's not necessarily in the Bible, but this is my gut is, you know, when I, I we all do this, when we do something bad and we try to cover it up or when we do something bad and we're in the process of like habitually hiding it, doesn't that just hollow you out from the inside? You know, like you do something terrible that you regret and you just got, I got to cover this up. I got to hide it. You're talking about anxiety, right? Like you just, you feel self-loathing, right? You just, you're disgusted with yourself. Just, just fillets you from the inside out when you hide bad things. I just wonder, man, I wonder when you hide good things, I just wonder if there's something there, some healing balm in your heart when you, when you do good and you're like, no one will ever find out. I may not be blessed financially for this and tell some story about how I, you know, I just, this is just for you, Lord. When I do something in secret, it's like just for you, Lord. This is what, this is what he's saying. Your reason is your reward. That's true for everything. I mean, whatever your motive, whatever your reason, that's your reward. You want to just be liked by people and people think you're great, great. You want to be a pastor so you can have a crowd of people and people think you're holy and whatever, cool. Dude, that's it. That's all you're going to get. That's all the reward is. Good luck with that. But if your motive is to put God first in your life, guess what's going to happen? God's going to be first in your life. Your reason is your reward. Here's why I want to illustrate this. I'm going to call for my ladder, guys. Okay, we're going to bring out a ladder here. And I'm going to climb on this ladder in a non-OSHA compliant way. I'm just kidding. I'm not going to do that. But as I bring out this ladder, um, I want to illustrate this point a little bit. And actually, Jesus illustrates this point as well. And he does it through a literary technique called hyperbole. Hyperbole is when you say something you don't really mean to make a point you really mean. And Jesus says this in Luke chapter 7, and before we, or Luke chapter 14. Before we read it, 
Let's all watch nervously as he sets up this ladder. <laughs> Just kidding. Great job. Thank you. Oh, and then we got some other props here. This is what happens. Thank you so much. Give it up for our ladder team here. If you want to volunteer for the ladder team, it's a good, it's a good volunteer role in our church. Okay, so uh, this is also what happens when you ask your three-year-old daughter to pick out some props for your illustration for your sermon right here. So this is what we got. So here's how I'm going to illustrate this. In Luke chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now, you know, Jesus teaches on a lot of stuff, but when he drops the word disciple, <laughs> you know, he should probably like perk up. You know what I mean? Like, oh, discipleship. That's like the main thing, right? Making disciples of Christ. That's what we are. We're, I want to be a disciple, right? Okay, so you're perked up and you're wondering, what, what do I got to do? Apparently you have to hate everybody, right? So this is where the guy in the back raises his hand. It's like, hey, Jesus, uh, that's great. Um, one problem though, I live next to my family. They're my neighbors and you told me to love my neighbor as myself. How am I supposed to love my neighbor? if he just told me to hate them because they're my family, <laughs> right? Like a kind of a gotcha, Jesus. That's not what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. He's saying your love for your family, for anything for that matter, anything, your love for this thing, it should, you should love it. Love your neighbor as yourself. But compared to your love for God, your love for God, it should be so high up there that when people look at it, they go, wow, man, you, you really love God, but compared to, compared to, you know, the Packers, compared to, you know, video games, compared to, you know, your favorite food, whatever, like you, you, you hate it compared to that. That's what he's saying. He's not saying, he's not saying you should go around and hate people. He's just saying by comparison, your love for God should be so, so high. And you can't be, listen, your kids, they need you to love God this much. I, I was in a situation in life when we had our first kid and I looked at this newborn baby. If it ever happens to your first one, you look at it and you go, I don't think I'm gonna love anything more than I love this, this baby. And I remember telling Pastor Paul, our youth pastor, I'm like, Pastor Paul, I have a problem. I love this baby. And I think honestly, if I'm honest with you, I think I love this newborn baby more than God. I mean, I, I, I'm in, I get anxiety thinking about losing this baby, right? It's this adorable little newborn baby. And he put his hand on my shoulder and he said, Brian, God will resolve all of that when she starts to talk. He will answer your prayers and you will love the Lord so much. <laughs> this, is, this is it, right? And so we're, we're saying, okay, here's what happens in life is every now and then good things. Remember fasting, <laughs> real quick. Fasting is not giving up a sin, okay? If you're stealing stuff from people, you don't want to just fast on that, okay? Just give it up. Just don't do it. It's not, that's not what fasting is. Fasting is giving up a good thing. It's not bad to have it. It's not bad to give it up. It's a good thing. But it's, it's giving it up voluntarily. No one's taking it from you. You're choosing to set it aside. Here's why. You're auditing your loves. And I think you should do this, you know, seasonally, annually. It doesn't matter. Regularly, you should just making sure. These things in life, man, that are good, they're good things. That's what Satan does. He's so wily. He takes good things. But what he does is he somehow, over time, you don't wake up one day saying you want to worship 
whatever activity or whatever relationship other than God, you, you don't wake up and decide, I want to worship at the idol of comfort or, um, you know, this activity in my life is like my world revolves around now. You don't do that. You don't choose that. It just happens over time and it works its way up. And what you're doing when you're fasting, you're saying, listen, I want that number one. I want this to be number one. That's my motive. So for now, I'm just going to, I'm going to see if I can set this aside. You know how you know that it's maybe something you may need to set aside? It's hard. It's hard thinking about setting it aside. Like 40 days setting this thing aside? I don't know. I don't know if I can do it for 40 days is a long time. You see, fixing this gap is not loving this thing less. That's not what it is. Not hating people. Like, listen, I really love you, but in order to follow Jesus, I have to somehow well up some hatred for you. That's not what it is. It's just fanning the flame of, of love for this. It's increasing your love for God. And like anything, you know, you can change what you love. I mean, how many of you loved your first sip of black coffee? Nobody. No one's like, this is amazing. No one does that, okay? You just, it's an acquired taste. You develop it, right? No, how, many, how many of you loved your first run you ever went on when you were way out of shape? No one. No one loves it. They're like, I'm never doing that again. So he never did it again. But here's the thing. Some of you that kept with it, you love it. Right now you're like, I love my runs. I just, I, I yo, will move my schedule around so I don't miss my run. It's a big deal. Right? This is what happens. You can, you can change what you love. You got to feed the appetite. Listen, appetites, they don't go away when you feed them. They get bigger. They get bigger. And some of you have an appetite for something that you don't, you, you, it's too high you don't want it that high, so you don't, don't feed it. Just, just let it lay for a while. You want God's appetite? You want your appetite to grow for that? Keep feeding it. You know what will keep feeding it? Every time you want that thing that you're giving up, you're going to remember why you're giving it up. Because you're feasting on God. You're trying to make him number one in your life. And it'll grow. Your appetite for making God number one in your life will grow. You know, it's hard to do this in comfort. Everything's on autopilot. You don't think about God that much. Let me tell you something. For those of you right now that are in suffering... And I don't say this lightly, but Jesus says it. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are broken in spirit. I don't say that lightly. Some of you are emotional, me just saying it. You're so tender. I know I don't wish suffering on my worst friend, but let me tell you, let me tell you, let me tell you, there's one thing that you, you experience in suffering that you don't experience in comfort. And that is that every minute, sometimes every hour, you're just thinking about how dependent you are, how much you need God. And that's, that's not a bad thing because that's actually true of all of us. It's our comfort that makes us forget that. So this is what you're doing. You're just choosing discomfort for a while. This is, this is one way. But, you know, the best way to fan your flame for the Lord, to keep that up really high, to really grow that, honestly, is just getting to know him as he really is. And I believe you can do that by getting to, getting to read and understand the real passage and the real story around Lent. You know where Lent begins? It begins in Matthew in chapter 4. But listen how it begins, okay? This is how the, this is how the Lent story begins in Matthew. Chapter 4, it says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Now, if I came up here and the first thing I said when I got on the stage was then, and I started telling some story, you know, then we did this, we did this, you'd be like, whoa, whoa, Brian. What's before the then? So if we're going to deal honestly with the real story of Lent, deal with it in context. So what's before the then? Well, you got to go back to chapter 3. Let's start in chapter 3. Now, here's the thing. 
Uh, chapters, by the way, another great tradition, not necessarily in the Bible. Matthew wasn't writing chapter three, and then he wrote, this is a tradition. You know, the church just decided where to put these chapters and verses so we can look it up easier. This is a good one. I'm glad we have it. Chapter three, verse one. Here it is. In those days. So these are the days. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness. So Jesus is led out into the wilderness, but here's what's also going on in the wilderness. John the Baptist is out there, his cousin. John the Baptist is preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, a little note on repentance. Not a cool word, right? I'm sure you didn't like, you're not going to go into the office tomorrow morning and take a sip of coffee and say, hey, hey, Tom, did you repent recently? <laughs> How's your repentance going? I mean, repentance, like, I don't want to talk about it. But here's the thing. Nobody in the Bible that even the best, most morally good heroes of Scripture, when they became viscerally aware of the physical reality of God's presence in their life or God addressed them personally and began to speak to them and showed up in, an, in a moment in their life. Do you know what their first response is? It's to repent. It's to, immediately, they say, they say, I am wrecked. I am broken. I am so sinful. I'm so sorry. You should smash me like a bug, but don't do it. Please, please. It's this repentance. I'm so unholy. Let me tell you something. I don't care if you believe in God or not. Let's just for a second pretend he's real if you don't believe in him and just think about it. If he's perfect, he's holy and he's creator of all things and he immediately addresses you by name, your first response is not going to be, oh, cool, you're alive. It's going to be, oh, I am, I am, I am so unworthy. I'm so, I'm so, and you'll just, you'll just be so repentant. And so it's natural. It's, it's, it's why like, you know, you want to get ready for God to be active in your life. You want to see God's activity. You want to be close to God. You know what's going to happen? The moment that happens, you're going to start to say in every season of life, when he shows up in a powerful way, I am not worthy. You'll re it'll just reveal stuff in your life. You'll see things different. You'll be like, that's not, that's, that's not holy what I was doing before. I'm going to, I got changed that. When he draws near, you immediately start repenting. So why, so how do you prepare? You repent. You're going to do it anyway. How do you prepare for war? Well, you go to boot camp and do war stuff. That's how you prepare for war. How do you prepare for God getting close to you? Repent. Because you're going to do it anyway the moment he shows up. So that's what John's doing. He's saying repair or repent, get ready. And one of the ways he's, he's, they're doing this ceremonially is baptism. That's why his name is John the Baptist. He's baptizing people. What is that? That's a kind of a repentance thing. That's a, Lord, I need to be washed by you. Spiritually, I need to be cleaned by you. I need to be washed by your goodness, your grace, your forgiveness, your love. That's what it is. It's a washing. And so that's the situation. That's the context for Lent. Now here's what happens. Jesus shows up. Here's what happens. Jesus shows up. Chapter three, then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan, to the Jordan to be baptized by John. It's weird. John tried to deter him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? So what he's saying, John's like, no, no, no. You're, you're, you're God. You, you need to baptize me. We should be in different places. I should be in your spot. And you should be in my spot. This is what Jesus says. Jesus replied, let it be so right now. In this moment, right now, for what I'm doing right now, there's a temporal statement he's making. It is proper for us to do this now to fulfill all righteousness. It's proper for us to do this right now. Jesus is saying, no, here's what's happening. I'm fasting from my spot. Here's what I'm going to do. He says, he's saying, I want you to come into my spot and I 
am going to step in to your spot, your brokenness, your mess, your sin. I'm going to take that on. And then you are going to step in to my spot. What's Jesus's spot? It's in the next few verses. And I'm going to read these verses, but here's what I want you to do. If you believe in Jesus, if you, if you accept the gospel, I want you to change how you read these verses for the rest of your life, this passage of scripture. The gospel should change your understanding of everything, including how you understand the Bible. And let me tell you something. The gospel changes how you read these words. If you've given your life to Christ, if you've allowed him, if you put your faith in him to be what makes you right with God, because this is Jesus's spot and he swapped you into it. So these next words I'm going to read from this passage, you need to hear them the way they really are for you as a Christian. And these are their words. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up from the water, and at that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, you are, you are my son, you are my daughter, whom I love, and with you, I am well pleased. That's your spot. You see, Jesus... He rightfully should be up here. Justice is a good thing. John the Baptist says what you and I say when we come face to face with our sin. Man, I deserve to be destroyed for this. Let me tell you something. Justice, us being eternally separated from God for eternity forever, that's not evil. That's actually justice. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And Jesus chooses the better thing, mercy. He says, I want reconciliation with my creation. So Jesus, God fasts. He says, I'm going to give it up. This is my status. This is my place. I'm giving it up. I'm coming down to the bottom. The greatest is now going to serve. The most powerful is going to empty himself of all of his power. He's going to allow his creation to kill him. He's going to give up all the comfort, all the luxury for 33 years. He's going to give it all. He's going to give up the place where heaven says, this is my son. This is my daughter who I love. And he's going to exchange it for the silence of heaven when he's on the cross yelling, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? You know why? Because he did. God abandoned him. That's exactly what you and I should say. And just like John the Baptist, when we realize it, we know that's where we belong. You should be here, Jesus. I should be on that cross. And Jesus says, no. I'm going to swap it out. I'm going on there. I'm going to get rejected. I'm going to give up everything. I'm going to fast it all away. And you, you go to my spot. Right with heaven. I'll be honest with you. <clears throat> Satan would love for you to think that Lent is about you climbing this ladder. He would, he would love you to think fasting is about doing works of righteousness and doing all kinds of stuff so you can, you can climb your way up to God's love where one day God looks at you and he says, this is my son and my daughter. I'm so pleased in you because of all the fasting and stuff. He would love for you to think that's what Lent's about. You know why? He doesn't. He doesn't fear your willpower. <laughs> he 
He doesn't, he does not, Satan does not fear your grit. He doesn't fear that at all. No, he is, he is terrified. He is, he is terrified of you realizing that God's white hot affection for his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect son, Jesus Christ, whom he's been with for millennia past and millennia future, that same love, that same love for the son of Jesus is available for you right now because 2,000 years ago, God fasted, gave everything up, gave everything up for you. All you got to do is believe it and receive it. Yeah, Satan would love for you to think Lent is this cosmic battle between Satan and Jesus, and your job is to read it and study it and then try to model as an example. And I'm not saying Jesus isn't a good example, but like the whole gospel is you just following him like an example, like another Buddha, like another Gandhi, just trying to emulate your life so that you're victorious. And you'll climb this ladder if you just apply these four-step plans of how to beat temptation, and that's what it's about. No, Satan was terrified of you knowing that Satan was destroyed and defeated by Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago. He would be terrified of you knowing that that battle was Satan losing. And on your behalf, Jesus gives you the victory. Not you fighting Satan, (laughs) trying to win. Now, Satan knows that if you believe and you understand the real God, the real gospel, Jesus taking your place, there's no end to what you would give up. There's no end. You realize that like you have the fullness of God's love and affection for you eternally, no matter what, because he simply just gives it to you for free as a gift. You realize that there's no end to what you would give. When you realize you have God's generosity, you're like, here's all my money. I'll live on 10% and give 90. I don't care. I don't need it. I got God. You will give, you'll forgive everybody because you're like, I got this forgiveness. I don't need to hold this grudge against you. You'll give away stuff. You will always militantly protect your love for God being at the top because you realize what he gives you. So as soon as you smell something climbing this ladder of love, you're going to shut it down because you love God so much. No, see, Satan, he knows. If you realize what Lent is really about, that Jesus took your place, that he defeated Satan, and you rest on his works of righteousness, not yours, man, there is no end to what you would give up for the kingdom because you have everything. You got the love of God. I didn't score a lot of goals growing up playing soccer. Um, I played on a team, though, that was really good here in the Fox Valley. And they were, they were really good. I was the worst player on the team. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, it was a good team. And I didn't score a lot, but I did score once. And it was a good goal. And it was a big deal. It was a big game. I remember running into the midfield, you know, you're celebrating. You're super excited. And of course, I'm looking in the stands. There's lots of people. There's a lot of crowd, big crowd there. And I'm looking out there. I'm looking, where's dad? You know, where's mom? Looking for my parents, you know, and I'm looking for them. I can't find their faces. And I just, you know, your first thought is, you know, did they miss it? You know, like you're, you're glad, you're excited. People are there and it was great. And, but you'll just tell about it later. It's just not the same. You, you want to you wanna see them, that they were looking at you. And then I found them. You know, they were, they did, they didn't miss it. I found them, and again, that just, they saw it, and you're just so excited. You know, I know now as a parent, my, my daughter Adeline, when I go to her soccer games, I'm not watching any other girl other than her, 
whether she has the ball or not, my eyes are on her. I'm watching her. I'm watching her not because I'm, I'm there to just see some game and see who wins this game. No, I'm there for her. She's my daughter. She's my, Elias is my son. I'm there to watch them. I'm not there to watch anybody else. I, I'm always watching. Let me tell you what fasting is. Let me tell you something. If you fast, listen to me. If you fast to feast on the attention of people, you will always be hungry. You'll always be hungry. They might think you're great. You know, well, you have the ball, but as soon as someone else takes the ball, as soon as you're not scoring, their attention's off. But mom and dad, your heavenly father, he's watching you the whole time because you're, he's, you're his. He's your dad. He's watching you the whole time. And fasting is this, is this getting rid of the, trying to ignore the crowd, get rid of the crowd. Let me tell you something. God doesn't compare you to who you compare you to, okay? Just, just make peace with that. God's not comparing you to who you compare you to. And let me tell you something. God, the Father, assessed you as lovable long before the crowd ever assesses you as, as lovable. Okay? You were already lovable long before they assessed you as good, lovable. You scored a goal. That, you don't need to Stop looking at that. Put that aside for a while. Just don't stop feasting on that. Because I'm going to tell you something. If you feast on people's compliments, you're going to be poisoned by their criticism. That's just how it goes. If you feast on job security, you feast, you know, you're, you're fasting to feast on like, maybe God will bless my Bitcoin. I mean, like, we don't know where that's going to go, right? All this stuff is crazy. But let me tell you something. Ignore all that and look right at what your heart's looking for anyway. It's the affirmation and the affection of your creator, God, who loves you as you are, not because of what you do, what you're, sco- what you're scoring in, how you're dribbling the ball, but because you're his son, you're his daughter, and in you, he is so well-pleased. When you get this, the question is not why fast. The question is why not? The reward infinitely valuable. Let's pray. Lord, we, we repent. We do. We are so sorry for f- trying to find our satisfaction and, and worth and value and, and security in, in so many of the things this, this world, this crowd offers us. Lord, thank you. You've been watching us the whole time. You, you, you love us no matter what. I pray, Lord, you would just remove distractions this season every season, but this season in particular, we come, we, we start looking for things that are distracting us. Lord, help us to remove those distractions. Help us to go looking for them and remove them and truly just enjoy and feast on your goodness, your grace. The only thing that fills us, that keeps us truly alive is you, Lord. So Lord, I pray that for, that this room would be full of rich people, super rich people, but rich in your reward, Lord, the things that matter, the things that truly give life. And thank you. Thank you for the privilege to feast on it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.